about that whining sound. See if I can prevent it. Is that better now? All the electronics interfere with each other. There we go. Well, I say hello again. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, especially thank you for uh, doing this. Thanks to Chodo and Koshin and the, and the gang for organizing it. And thanks to all of you for participating in it. In it. Uh, it's a big deal to sit. It makes a big difference. I, I don't think we appreciate it. it. Changes the whole world. So, great that you're doing it. <clears throat> I hope you're all enjoying the commit to sit, which is just about almost in the middle. And you're right on schedule because the baseball is also right in the middle of the baseball season. So, yeah, you're, you're not quite there, but almost. And I, and I confess to you that while you've been <clears throat> diligently doing your practice, I've been not so on the beam with my practice as you have been. I've been here and there doing this and that, and uh, so uh, thanks for holding down the fort. Also, I will confess that although a long time ago, when it probably when it first came out, I did read Uchiyama Roshi's uh, classical book, Opening the Hand of Thought, and I was delighted with it, I have to confess that I have not reread this book from my talk tonight. Although I did read, as you'll see, the part, and I'm going to read with you the part that I was assigned to. However, uh, so I'm not worried about that because uh, I have a lot of confidence that even though I don't necessarily know what I'm doing or how my talk connects to your sitting or what other people have said about the book because I haven't listened to everybody else's talk, I have no doubt that it will all connect up because uh, the Dharma always does that. It's amazing. The Dharma is so wise and your human mind is so wise that things always connect. So, I mean, I, I'm not goofing off. I thought about this and I thought about giving a good talk and all that. It's not as if I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a total slouch. I'm just saying that even though I haven't done the homework I would have liked to do and should have done, I feel confident that, that it'll be okay anyway. So I'm going to start by um, reading uh, a section of the text that I, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is, I hope this is the one I was supposed to talk about tonight. Uh, it's called Living Out the Reality of Life. And it's really good, so I'm going to just read it for you. And, and in this section, um, Uchiyama Roshi is telling us that to live a life of Zazen means that we're always connected to our real, true, and actual life. We're living that life no matter what, but sometimes we lose our connection to our actual life and then we get lost in abstractions that we don't realize are abstractions, that we take seriously more than we should 
things like regrets and hopes and memories and opinions and ideologies. We get very passionate about stuff like that and we don't realize that they're abstractions slightly removed from our actual life. So then we get confused and get into all sorts of trouble. And mostly it's such abstractions that make us suffer. That's, what's, that's what torments our minds. So when you live a life of practice, you know, when sitting not only is something that you do every day, but also pervades your whole life, you understand that abstractions are abstractions. You understand that you have plenty of thoughts that you don't necessarily have to believe in, thoughts that make you suffer, and you have the capacity, once you see that, to let those thoughts go, and then you're free to pay attention to the actual challenges of our lives, which can be serious challenges, right? The real challenges of our life, difficult though they often are, can always be coped with, no matter what they are. And we can live courageously and nobly with difficulty. Sometimes difficulty is even good for us. It makes us strong brings out the best in us sometimes. So that's what Uchiyama Roshi is trying to urge us into, into basically living our real life instead of messing ourselves up with some other kind of life that we faked up. So, seems like a good idea, right? Who, who would not want to do that, right? So, but how? I mean, you can't talk yourself into it or will yourself into it. So, you commit to sit, right? You commit to sit. And you vow to continue practice as your life. And when you do that, little by little, you're going to have a feeling for what Uchiyama Roshi is talking about. There's no secret trick to it. You're going to know this. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. You don't have to be a spiritual genius to practice exactly what Uchiyama Roshi is talking about. But you do have to do it. You do have to do the practice. You do have to keep on the beam. So that's why commit to sit is so valuable, right? Because wherever you are, just plug in the computer and uh, make your commitment and, and you actually can do this. So here's, here's what Uchiyama Roshi says here, under the heading, <clears throat> Living Out the Reality of Life. I have explained that the reality of life is the very living out of life just as it is, and that Zazen is the practice of doing just that. But is there any other way to live besides living life as it is? Of course not. Whatever our way of life may be, that is the reality of life. So there is no possibility of living outside the reality of life. Nevertheless, 
it is all too possible to live losing sight of that reality and because of that to agonize about our lives. So that's the great kind of paradox. We're always going to do this anyway. We're always practicing anyway. There's nobody that's not practicing Zen with you. Everybody's practicing the way. But if you don't pay attention to it, you can really make yourself pretty miserable. And it would be nice not to have to be so miserable. So then he goes back, I'm going back to his words. Once time a woman in her 40s came to talk with me, she was distraught as she told me her story. She had always loved to paint and was quite talented. When she was in her 20s, her parents supported her and helped her make a life as an artist in Tokyo. And she met initially with considerable success. Her paintings were exhibited everywhere, often winning prizes, and even the critics gave her generous praise and as an accomplished young artist. However, her brilliant beginning met with an obstacle. Just when her reputation was starting to grow, her father lost everything he had, and it was too risky for her to live only by her paintings, and she was also worried about her disappointed parents, so she returned to the country and did all she could to look after them. A really good daughter, right? Years went by. Her parents grew old. But her, her unceasing passion for painting would not allow her to stay in the country and wither away, so she moved back to Tokyo, taking her aged parents along. She worked during the day and devoted herself to painting at night and continued this effort for several years, but she was unable to win recognition the way she had in her 20s. Every painting she exhibited and, pl and placed her hopes in lost in competition. And as a result, she was unable to sell any paintings and was forced to continue working to support herself and her parents, which sapped all her energy and spirit. Lamenting her unfortunate situation, she wept over being unable to develop her talent because her family had lost all its property. While I totally sympathized with her inability to achieve her goal as a painter due to these setbacks, I rebuked her for her own sake. And here's what he told her. You're thinking about all this all wrong. It's a big mistake to think that it is only natural for a person to receive a family inheritance. What is natural is that a person has no property at all. You were able to study painting by means of your family's wealth until you were past 20. That's unusual, and you should be grateful for that. Now, even though some 20 years have passed, you're still lamenting your family's loss and being dragged around by fantasies of the past. You have to open your eyes to your present reality and start off with a totally naked self, possessing no property or anything else. Besides, you're still looking back to the time when you were in your 20s and the paintings you exhibited always won prizes for you and wishing those days were back again. Is, isn't agonizing over things that don't work out just the way you want, nothing but being dragged around by mere fantasies, you have to begin with your present reality. What is most basic is that you paint because you enjoy painting. Isn't that so? Can you let yourself be satisfied with that and with having a part-time job to support yourself? If you can make a living like that and enjoy painting the rest of the time, 
then you can have a rich life. This is something to be happy about, whether you receive recognition or not. I haven't been doing Zazen because I want to make it into something saleable. I've been leading a life of Zazen for 30 years, but the first 20, I was completely ignored by the world and practiced Zazen in obscurity with barely enough to eat. But just by doing Zazen, I was able to discover the meaning of my own life even in those circumstances. During the last 10 years, people who are sympathetic with my attitude towards Zazen have come to join me in sitting, but even now, I haven't the slightest intention of making Zazen into a saleable product. I'm just doing my own Zazen. For you, painting your pictures is your life. Shouldn't you be grateful for that? Shouldn't that be your greatest joy? She understood completely and went away with fresh vigor in her step. We are always living out the reality of our own lives, although we very often lose sight of this reality, getting caught up in fantasies of the past or in our relationships with others. We end up being dragged around by those fantasies and by our comparisons of ourselves with others. Living like that, how can we not be filled with feelings of utter isolation and loneliness, overwhelmed by our jealousy and envy of those around us, or by some other great suffering? I, I, an aside here, that's, all this is Uchi Amaroshi, but I'm, just as I read this, it makes me think about Facebook. Did you ever go on Facebook? And you, you, this is an odd thing, you know, like they say that Facebook is bad for people. Well, why is Facebook bad for people, especially young people? Because they look at Facebook and they see that this one is having a happy birthday surrounded by friends. And that one just won a prize over here. And this one is celebrating receiving this award. And that one over there is having a beautiful vacation in Hawaii. And here's the pictures of the colorful fish. You know, and, and, and this one is on a vacation over here, and that one just had another grandchild. And then you're thinking, and I'm such a schlump, you know. I didn't have any birthdays and nobody came. I didn't go to Hawaii. Nobody pays any attention to my paintings anymore. This Facebook is getting me down. Right, so that's what he's talking about. If you live like that, it does, everything, every, you can't enjoy other people's good fortune, right? It becomes just another reason for you to feel bad about yourself. So he didn't know about Facebook, but if he did, he probably would have mentioned Facebook here. Anyway, back to his words. One time, I went to a place in the country, and I could see from a distance a thick forest on the side of the mountain, and I was able to make out the roof of a large temple hidden among the trees. And I asked a local villager about it, and he told me that this temple used to be much larger, but it burned down. And the present building was put up on a much smaller scale. So guided by the villager, I climbed the stone stairway. And I, you can see that, you know, if you ever go to Japan, there are these amazing temples of stone stairways that thread through the forest. So he's going up the stone stairway 
When I finally reached the top and had a look around, the temple, far from being small, was a magnificent structure that didn't seem to have built at all have been built at all recently. I began to wonder about what my guide had said, and I asked him just when the temple had burned down, and he told me during the Kamakura period, which was in the 13th century. And I burst out laughing, because his aggrieved tone of voice had implied that the temple had burned down recently, certainly during his lifetime. These villagers had handed down to each successive generation since the 13th century, only in Japan, right, a sense of personal loss about something that had happened hundreds of years before. Living near, near this handsome, imposing temple, they didn't really enjoy it, because they were busy lamenting that it wasn't some other way. On second thought, he says, a thing that happened 700 years ago is undoubtedly a recent event for many people. And most religions encourage believers to, quote, remember events written in their holy books. Most religious observances, right, are remembrances, right, of events that happened long ago. I know as a Jewish person, all the Jewish holidays, uh, most of them are, my God, they tried to kill us and they failed again. <laughs> so let's celebrate how they failed again. Anyway, he says, uh, most religions encourage believers to remember events written in their holy books, events that may have happened thousands of years ago, and to act as if these things had happened to them personally. On the basis of these, quote, memories, they wage wars and they kill each other en masse. This is not limited to mythological and sectarian religions either. It is exactly the same among all the many doctrines and ways of thought. It's the same with politics, right? Instead of looking at the fresh and vivid reality of life with their own eyes, people end up stifling that reality in the name of justice, peace, or some other fixed dogma. All these memories and myths are, to be sure, produced by human life. So he's not saying that they're meaningless. However, all these ideas and beliefs have only a conceptual existence that is fixed within our thoughts. They are not raw life experience that is alive right now. We tend to plunge our heads too far into memories and fantasies, into religious dogma and rigid doctrines, when we admire them and believe in them blindly, becoming frenzied and fanatical, we become imprisoned by this fixed and conceptual existence. We would be much better off if our past experience and wisdom were made to live within the raw life experience of the self here and now. Instead, we think that kind of conceptual existence is our real life of the present. And we end up being dragged around by our thoughts. And we do things that stifle raw life. And this happens all the time. If somebody is really extremely this way, they can be admitted to a hospital, a mental hospital, as a schizophrenic, but when huge masses of people begin to act like that, there is no hospital big enough. Most unfortunately, such groups of fanatics eventually shape the very history of the human race.
And don't you think that's true, really? You know, I mean, when I don't know, maybe he's maybe he's thinking of his own younger days in World War II in Japan. You know, when people uh, were made tremendous sacrifices in the name of these kind of abstractions. And, and wars are always a whole nation goes crazy, right? And supports an insane war. Is it ever sane to kill hundreds of thousands of people? Isn't that the definition of insanity? That's what he's saying. Unfortunately, such groups of fanatics eventually shape the very history of the human race. If we think about it, there is no doubt that everyone is always living out the reality of life, but so often we live it blindly. We're so caught up in our thoughts that we think they alone are what is real and complete. And that's a kind of insane reality. The important thing is to find a sane way to live out the reality of life. This is what a true spiritual practice is about. Not spirit or mind separated from the body and the world, but a true way of life. This is what Zazen is, a practice of living out the fresh reality of life. And it is, isn't, it, isn't he right? I mean, it is so easy to get caught up in your thoughts, in your concepts, in your ideas, and to believe that that's so urgent, you must do something about it. You know, to, to me, the great antidote to that is just very simply to come back to your breathing and come back to your body and ask yourself, you know, what is going on here? What am I doing? What is going on here? In a way, you know, life itself is always very sane and very healing. But we lose track of our very life that's there, right? Right in front of us. We're like I was saying in the little sitting we did, you're alive. You know, notice that. Pay attention to that. That will heal you. That will save you. But, you know, we wake up in the morning and off we rush following our obsessions. We don't even remember that we're alive. You know, we almost like take it for granted and forget it. And that's what he's saying. When you do zazen, you can't forget that you're alive. And you can't forget that you're alive with everyone. You can't be alive one minute without everybody else. And when you know you're alive with everyone, you behave differently. That's what he's telling us. So now I, I make some a little comments on that long uh, section I read. That, that section is so plain spoken and so good, I would have just said the same thing in other words. And why should I say it in other words when he has good words, you know? Uh, so... I, you know, I'm a poet myself and an artist, so I sympathize with that woman in the story, you know. I also know a lot of poets and artists. A lot of, we have a lot of poets and artists in our sangha. And uh, I, I know artists, I've had the same conversation almost with them, you know, that Uchiyama had with that young artist. So I really kind of feel sympathy with that woman in the story. And uh, it's pretty easy for Uchiyama Roshi to say, well, just stop being disappointed in how well your painting is being received. And just do it because you enjoy it. It's easy for him to say he's not an artist. 
I know how hard it is for artists when that happens. It's sort of one of the prices you pay for being an artist. Uh, very, few, very seldom do you feel sufficiently appreciated, almost never really. And then if, if you are very much appreciated, then you might feel like a, an imposter, you know. <laughs> I'm not really that good, how come they pay so much for my paintings? So it's easy, it's easy for him to say. It's more complicated, I know. And he, I mean, I, I actually believe that even today, some decades after Uchiyama wrote this and after his, he talks about his 30 years of Zazen and the first 20, he did almost starve to death, you know, and had to depend on donations to eat. But I, I still actually believe that in the complicated world that we live in now, here in the West, I still believe that if you rely on your Zazen practice, you will be okay. You'll find a way. The world will take care of you in the same way that it ended up taking care of Uchiyama Roshi. I still, I really do believe that. If you focus your energy and, the, and your point of view and the passion of your life on how well regarded you are and how important you are or how important what you do is, if that's the yardstick or the compass by which you measure and guide your life, you're going to be an unhappy person. The more obsessed you are with concerns like that, the more miserable you will be. Now, I actually think it's a good idea to be ambitious. I was telling somebody the other day, you're very ambitious and, and you know, like... So they're a Zen student, and they thought I was insulting them you know, by saying that they were ambitious. But no, I think it's really good to be ambitious. If, uh, I mean, because human beings do stuff, right? That's what we do. We run around and do a certain amount of stuff. Human beings are good at doing stuff. And we should do stuff. We need to do stuff. Doing things is good. Human beings doing things is a good thing. We wouldn't be here right now if human beings hadn't been, been ambitious enough to figure out how to have computers and uh, Zoom. This took, took some ambition, right? And if Kosho, Koshin and Chodo were not ambitious people, we wouldn't have this commit to sit. Right? So we're grateful for human ambition. It's not that we don't want to be ambitious, but if you're too ambitious or too obsessed with evaluation and success, then you're miserable. Be ambitious for others and don't worry about whether it works or not. That's the way to go. Because if you're ambitious for yourself and you know, your good reputation, you're going to be miserable. Because no matter how well it goes, it could go much better. No matter how successful you are, you could be much more successful. Once you start in on evaluating and validation, it never ends. And anyway, if we're going to be honest about this, who ever is good enough? 
human beings are never good enough. They have minds that are infinitely ima imagined, can infinitely imagine how good they could be, and they could never come up to what they could imagine in their minds. So anybody who's honest, no matter how brilliant they are, would say, you know, I'm an idiot, because compared to what could be, this is nothing. So, if you think you have low self-esteem and you think, you know, I haven't done anything good, you're right. <laughs> True, nobody has. We're all pathetic human beings. We can't do much. All of us, without exception. So don't worry about justifying your existence with how great you are. We have these thoughts. It's fine, you know, they're not going to go away. You sit in Zazen and you learn how to have a thought come into your mind. Oh, look at that thought. How strange. How unprofitable to have a thought like that. And yet, how beautiful that human thought. Probably it's because I had the mother I had that I have that thought. Hi, Mom. <laughs> so you let it go. Don't grab hold of your ambition. Appreciate it. Don't grab hold of your comparing mind. Appreciate it. Don't grab hold of your need to succeed. Just appreciate it. Appreciate the human energy that keeps coming on, rising up in your life. What a great thing that you're human and you have energy and you want to do stuff. And if in the doing of this stuff you have to suffer a little bit, well, that's okay. A little suffering is not bad. It's a price worth paying to do something good for others. Just don't get caught by it, right? Don't get too obsessed by it. Don't take it so seriously. Our lives come and go in a second. You know, we shouldn't take them so seriously. And then thinking about the second story, religious memory, religious obsession. He's right, you know, uh, our religions are full of memories and doctrines and ideas. I, you know, I think a lot about uh, the past. We all need to understand the past and respect and remember the past. We should all respect religious teachings and religious ideas, which are, after all, a tremendous human treasure, right? The sum total of the world's religious thoughts and theologies and observances and so on are a tremendous uh, treasure of human beings. So, sometimes people think that Zen is just like abandoning everything and just paying attention to the present moment as if nothing else existed. But, but all the times exist in the present moment. There is no present moment, right? It's just, there's just the past and the future. So I don't think Uchiyama Roshi, and he says as much, I don't think he's telling us to ignore the past or to think of the past as unreal or to ignore religious teachings as mere abstractions that we don't pay attention to. The past is about as real as the present or the future, so we should appreciate it. 
Just don't misunderstand it. Don't obsess. And don't ruin your life not seeing what's going on in front of you while mooning over what has been or trying to conform what happens to you to a doctrine or a belief, including the belief that you should be in the present moment, that Zen tells you to be in the present moment, the belief that you shouldn't have such thoughts, and so on and so on. Don't, don't ever do that to yourself. Just pay attention to whatever is here, whatever it is. The past really is here in the present. Everything that ever happened is in you. You kind of see that the older you get, you know. Oh my God, I'm just like my father. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I never noticed before. We've all been conditioned by the past in ways we, we don't see. It comes out of our mouths. It's in our thoughts. Spiritual teachings, if they mean anything at all, will reveal themselves in our lives as they are. Open up your eyes and you will see all the teachings of the Dharma unfold in what happens to you. And it's a beautiful thing to realize that the past, with all of its suffering, can be respected and healed here in the present moment of our living. Just like uh, when people in your family die and you get their dishes, you know, and their heirlooms, <laughs> we get the whole past in the present. And it's up to us now to know what to do with it. In Zazen, as I said a minute ago, we learn over and over and over again, how, how to let go of thoughts. People get frustrated because they say, oh, I'm still thinking. How come I can't have any peace? Well, sometimes you have peace. Sometimes there can be a very quiet zazen, but that's not the point. It's good to have thoughts and learn how to let go of them. That's what Uchiyama means by the beautiful phrase, opening up the hand of thought. He means instead of clutching the thought, open up the hand of thought. That's exactly what he's talking about. And here's specifically, again, another quote from him, what he says about this. Here, we, because this is so important and so crucial to practice, here we have to clearly distinguish chasing after thoughts and thinking from ideas or thoughts merely occurring. If a thought occurs during zazen and we proceed to chase after it, then we are thinking, and we're not doing zazen. Yet this doesn't mean that we are doing zazen only when thoughts have entirely ceased to occur. How should we understand this contradiction? How do we, how do we figure out the difference? Imagine placing a large rock next to a person doing zazen. So here's a person, here's a rock. The rock will never have a thought. The person, though, is alive, unlike the rock. And even if we were to sit exactly as stationary as a rock, 
thoughts might occur. On the other hand, if thoughts did not occur, period, ever, in that person sitting, we would have to say that that person is dead. So we're not trying to be lifeless like a rock. For that reason, thoughts ceasing to occur is not the ideal state of one sitting in zazen. It is perfectly natural that thoughts occur. Yet if we chase after thoughts, we are thinking, and we're not doing zazen. So what should our attitude be? Briefly, our attitude in zazen is aiming at maintaining the posture of zazen with our flesh and bones, and with our minds simply letting go of thought, opening up the hand of thought. What's letting go of thoughts? Well, when we think, we think of something. Think of thinking of something means grasping that something with thought. However, during zazen, we open the hand of thought that is trying to grasp something and simply refrain from grasping. This is letting go of thoughts. And now, this is me talking. Maybe it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, the Dogen uh, refers to this as think not thinking. And that's what Uchiyama Roshi means by thoughts can occur, but we don't chase them. We cannot prevent a thought occurring in the mind. If a thought comes into your mind in this moment, it's kind of like the entire universe is producing that thought in your mind in that moment. So how in the world could you ever hope to prevent it? And you're not supposed to try. Just don't grab it. Just don't Identify it. Oh, that's my thought. A thought comes like anything else. And it passes away like everything else. A cloud comes into the sky. Look at it for a minute. It floats away on its own. A sound, you hear it, and then it's gone. A sound, the thought, the cloud, it's all equally you and not you. So in this way, day in and day out, for 90 days of commit to sit and 190 days beyond commit to sit and 2,190 days beyond that and 10,000 and 20,000 however many days you have, practice like that. And eventually, whether you know what you're doing or not, you will understand. You will. Now, when I say you will understand, it doesn't mean that you will be able to explain this or, you know, be learned and wise or have the right Zen idea about it. It means that you'll just be able to live more and more, really and truly live the life that you were going to do anyway except you won't drive yourself and others crazy and you'll have a little peace and a little ability to negotiate your life beautifully, kindly, and with compassion. Really live your life. Live it with heart. Not just mindlessly walk around crashing into furniture and breaking stuff. So when we live our life in this way, really with heart, as I say, we're going to live it differently 
Even if we don't try to live it differently, we will. It's going to make a difference in how we live. And, oddly, you'll find that it makes a difference in what happens to you. It's like the rest of the world pays attention to it. And it changes what happens to you. Now, will you be a great painter? Well, you might. But that doesn't matter that much, does it? Will this prevent you from getting sick and dying or suffering a lot in some other way? No, I don't think so. But, whatever happens, it will be a life of meaning and power and heart and soul. A life that will be an example and a blessing to others. A real life. Isn't that what we want and need? Isn't that, in the end, what heals us and is going to heal the world? If only we and everybody else could live a real life. It's that simple. So, anyway, that's my talking. Thank you very, very much for listening to me and Uchi Yamaroshi. Probably you read all that, but it's different when you hear it read out loud. You know, it's somehow in the privacy of your own mind. Somehow it goes in one ear and out the other. But when you hear it read out loud, you know, you, you can hear it better. That's why I thought it would be good to read all that. So we have about 10, 15 minutes now. If anybody um, wants to... Uh, make a comment or something like that. I, I guess you have your way of doing it with so many people. It's a little unwieldy, but you know how to do it. So I turn it over to you guys who will uh, figure out how to get people to talk, and then I can respond if I have anything to say. So thank you.